What's going on, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the channel. So today I am excited to have author JT Greathouse joining me. JT, how's it going today? It's going well. How are you doing? Going well. Uh, it's been it's been a really odd morning. So uh, it's been like super sunny here. Of course, now it's like starting to get cloudy, but like mm. it's been oddly like thundering really, really loud while also being 90 degrees and like the sunniest day we've had all summer. <laughs> so that's very that confused. <laughs> I'm like, are yeah. we going to have a tornado soon? Like, are we just, you know, going through one of those days? I don't really know, but other than yeah. that, it's, it's going all right. Um, you know, how, how are you feeling? I mean, you just released a book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's gotta be a, a pretty like good feeling. It is. It's a, it's been a really exciting week. Um, also really exhausting. Uh, my book was, you know, primarily being published in the UK by Galant. So on Thursday morning at about 2 a.m., um, I was having a hard time sleeping anyway. And then my phone started blowing up with like emails from my editor to congratulate me and people messaging me on Twitter or like, you know, posting stuff on Twitter. Uh, and then I just kind of got sucked into it. And I actually responded to my editor to be like, thanks for the congrats. It's been really fun working with you. And then he just emailed me back and said, what are you doing awake? Like, you should go to bed. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, kind of surreal because it's something, I think for a lot of writers, it's something you work on for years and years and years, and you're never sure if you're actually ever going to, you know, break in and manage to get a book published. And then when it happens, it's like, okay, this is happening. And I don't know, you know, it's, I don't know how to feel any differently about it, but it's exciting. It's exhausting. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. You're like, yo, this, this is a thing now. So yeah. Like this it is just, my it life, happened <laughs> and now what? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it, maybe, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen the, the pictures you've been posting on, on Twitter, you know, you go out and sign some books, which, you know, mm -hmm. even a lot of people last year weren't even able to do that. They just got the yeah. author copies and like, what in the world do I do with these? Uh, yeah. you know, like I, like Nick Martell, who, 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 you know, is a fellow Gallant's author yeah. and also did a blurb for you, you know, last year, I, I told him to make a, make a throne out of his books. Cause he's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with these boxes of books. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he won't say that I, that I, that I told him to do that. He'll, he'll take all the credit, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then you had those like really sweet cookies that they made mm -hmm. of the book cover, which I'm yeah, like, my mom had those made. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been like, I, so I work part-time at uh, this bookstore in Spokane. And so they got a bunch of copies in and I got to sign them there. And that was really cool. Um, and I do feel kind of lucky that at least there was this window, right, where the pandemic was sort of in a lull, at least, um, where I got to, like, I got to do a launch event in my hometown. And got to sign some books at the bookstore and and that was all very exciting and now it's like just after that happens here comes the delta variant so. yeah i know <laughs> yeah it's just like yeah I, I, somebody you know so i've been seeing like a lot of people post memes about like you know like my fall plans and then like the delta oh yeah kind of like sitting funny. in the background <laughs> very dark you, know, you, you got yeah you got you got to have something to laugh about right you know um, yeah but yeah you know tell me you know, I, I want to get kind of like into your experience, like writing through the pandemic and knowing that you're yeah, yeah. published and so forth. and like kind of hoping it'd be published when the pandemic was over, but um, I kind of want to kind of go back to the beginning. So I always, this is kind of how I always start these chats. So tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, 
you know, how you got started writing? Did you read a lot growing up? And who, you know, who did you read? Who were some of your favorite authors? Um, sure. And then kind of like, when did you start writing seriously? Yeah, so um, I don't really remember a time when I wasn't reading a lot. Um, my mom tells stories about when I was a little kid and learning to read and how my old, I have an older brother who's two years ahead of me. And we were both homeschooled for elementary school and uh, most of middle school and high school. And he was homeschooled through high school, but I started going to school then. But like when we were little kids and he was learning how to read, I was super jealous. And so I would like work really hard to catch up with him so I could read the same books he was reading. So I got to the point where I read The Hobbit when I was like seven or eight. Um, I read Dune when I was like 11. Um, just because he that's what he was reading and I didn't want to not you know, be able to read the same books as him. Right. Um, so I, I always read a lot. And then um, my first story that I remember writing, it was, uh, I was probably like seven or eight. And my dad was watching this James Bond movie marathon on TV. And uh, I was sitting down and watching Moonraker with him. And then my mom was like, kind of weirded out by the fact that her seven-year-old kid was watching Moonraker. <laughs> it's like, this is too violent for you. You should go do something else. Um, and, and I had recently been reading uh, Redwall by Brian Jocks. And so I, which that was one of my favorite series when I was a kid. And so I went and I wrote like a version of what I had seen of Moonraker and understood of it so far. And then kind of extrapolating where I thought the story was gonna go. But I made all the characters mice and I gave them guns that shot sunflower seeds because I thought that would like reduce the violence level. There you go. Um, and so that I wrote that and then I showed it to my mom and she was, she cracked up and, and she, I think she still has that somewhere. But um, I, I, it was always like a thing I did. You know, I read a lot. I, ha I had a pretty vivid imagination. I spent a lot of time, you know, running around the house in the backyard, making lightsaber noises and stuff and swinging sticks around. And then when I was, uh, in like my freshman year of high school, so when I was like four, 13 or 14, they had this contest through the local community college, um, which was for high school students um, who, who could write fiction and then they would pick winners and you got $100 if you won and you got to have your book or your story published in a little magazine the school put out and you got to go to a reading and stuff. And my uh, English teacher and my mom both told me like you should try this like you should write something and enter it and see how it goes um, and I just thought okay fine and so I wrote a short a little science fiction story um, and sent it in and it ended up getting second place so I got like 50 bucks and I got it published in the little magazine I got to go read it and it was just like the funnest thing I had ever done and so from that point on I was like this is cool like I want to keep writing stuff I want to keep getting published I want to keep uh getting money to have for having an imagination right right <laughs> uh so I just I kept doing it and I won the same contest because they had like a different division for each grade level um every year I was in high school and then I went to college and I didn't study English I actually studied history and philosophy because I wanted to know interesting things that I could then write about. Um, and then I uh, started sending to the short story magazines when I was like 
20 um, mm. to like, you know, fantasy and science fiction, Clark's World, uh, Beneath Ceaseless Skies and all those places. But I didn't sell anything until I was like 25. <laughs> so it took a while. But I, it was, you know, from a pretty young age, it was what I wanted to do. Um, and this, the people who I read when I was really young who had a big influence on me and kind of put me on that science fiction fantasy path were, like I said, Brian Jocks with the Redwall books, Ursula Le Guin, uh, the Earthsea series was like my favorite thing for a really long time. Um, I read a, almost the entire Animorph series by K.A. Wow. Applegate. That's really, that's really bringing it back. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I kept reading those probably long after I was a bit too old for them to be like at my, you know, what the target age level for right. them. And then I, so there's, you know, there's probably like 20 or 30 I haven't read just because she kept writing them um, after I stopped reading them. But I had read them all up till, you know, a certain point. Mm. Um, and those are like, I think that, that those are actually some of the most interesting young like science fiction for young adults that's that I've ever seen just because of the way it deals with war and the cost of war in terms of not only lives but like the long-term impacts of uh going through that kind of experience on people mm -hmm. um yeah and then obviously Lord of the Rings um as I got older I really fell in love with the Malazan series by Stephen Erickson um the uh Prince of Nothing series by R. Scott Baker, which I think is like a really fascinating uh, take on writing a fantasy series that has some unique philosophical attitudes. It's grimdark, but in a way that not a lot of grimdark is, mm -hmm. where it's it's not just like the pe people suck. It's like, no, like, what if the Old Testament version of God was real and he kind of hated humanity? And what would living in that world be like? And it's mm -hmm you know, it's this sort of, it's almost like a science fictional extrapolation, but instead of about technology, about certain like religious propositions, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so it's, it's this, yeah, a lot of stuff like that I really like. And then obviously Dune, but I could go on and on about different books that I really like and have been formative. Guy <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel Kay, I shouldn't not mention. Um, his approach to writing fantasy based on history, where you kind of take that like quarter turn away from reality to uh, use historical details and historical narratives without necessarily claiming that it's the truth so that you can kind of play with it a little bit, change it to suit your narrative needs, I think is a smart way of thinking about writing fantasy, so. Mm. I, I have to say, you're, you're the first and you might even be the last person to ever bring up animorphs on one of my chats <laughs> animorphs is great read animorphs. No, it was I, I, I loved animorphs when i was younger and then you go back and you look at like all the old covers and you go oh yeah. this is the trippiest thing i've ever seen like seeing a kid's head like transform into an animal it's it's so weird it's pretty wild like i i can't imagine the the publicity meeting or the marketing meeting where they looked at that cover and they were like yep no this is what we want to put on our this is exactly science it. fiction books for, for nine-year-olds <laughs> this is perfect this will not induce nightmares yeah. it will not and it will be talked about as one of the best covers ever in 10 years <laughs> parents will be totally into this they won't be very confused by what their children are reading Absolutely. See, like I used to buy the Goosebumps books just based on the covers. Like I watched the show and I yeah. really loved Goosebumps growing up. And I liked to be scared when I was younger. Um, you know, I did Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like that was just my thing. Um, 
I didn't read the Animorphs books. I mean, I watched the show, but uh, I, I can only imagine, you know, how good the books are. Because it's one of those things, like, I, f- I feel like in, like, in the 90s when they really tried to to do the adaptations, they just weren't really that good. They're getting better, no. and they have yeah. gotten better over the years. But, yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty. The good. Animorphs show was terrible. <laughs> the books are amazing, but the show is awful. <laughs> I actually remember getting that, getting the first episode of that show uh, out of, from the library on VHS and putting it on and like stopping watching it six or seven minutes in. It's like, this is just miserable. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, man. I, you know, I, I, I got Paramount Plus the other day. And so like, it's got all the old like Nickelodeon stuff and like just go yeah. back through there and go, oh my gosh, like uh, salute your shorts. I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to love this show. Like trying mm-hmm. to go back and watch it. I'm like, why, why yeah. do I like this? yeah right <laughs> Animor- animorphs is the same thing <laughs> yeah so um i have to ask so so you know you, you were doing this little competition when you were in high school and then mm-hmm. you started submitting when you were in your 20s so so i have to ask, you know were you really cocky you know after winning those those little prizes <laughs> you're like oh i'm totally gonna submit i'm gonna get accepted like first thing or were you just kind of like you know let's see what happens uh you know i i, I know that so many people submit to these and there's yeah. a, a slim chance of getting accepted. I was a bit cocky. Um, I had, I mean, the other thing is when you read those magazines and stuff, sometimes you read stories and you're like, I don't understand why this got published. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not because it's a bad story necessarily. It's because you don't, it's not to your taste or it's not the kind of thing that you like. Yeah. And so I think I had this impression that like, you don't actually have to be that good to get it at these magazines. You just have to like, you know, whatever. I, I, I had very little context. Um, you just have to be I able to started. string sentences together. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I could, I would read some things and like, well, that was, you know, a coherent story. It made sense. The characters had motivations and stuff, but I didn't think it was mind blowing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I figured I could do it, um, which I think is a healthy attitude for young people to have yeah. because then you'll try things that might, actually be well beyond your your reach um but that's how you learn yeah so like the first uh when i first started submitting to to the mac to magazines i definitely was surprised by how hard it was to get in anywhere and i had this story that i thought was pretty good and like i had shown it to one of my philosophy professors and he thought it was pretty good um and i sent it to like 20 places and i got just either form rejections or radio silence from all of them and then I was like, that doesn't make sense because it was a pretty good story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, I so that's when I kind of got online and started looking into what other writers were saying about how um, how to get published or like which magazines to submit to or whatever. And I got a little bit more involved in the community and I kind of had this wake up call like, oh, actually there are thousands of people competing for like maybe a hundred slots to get published every month. Mm -hmm. So, and it's also like not even necessarily a quality contest. It's a, it's a, it's a numbers contest because you're shooting, you have to write a good story, but you also Mm -hmm. have to hit an editor at the right time when they're in the mood for that kind of story and they have a slot in their magazine for it. And, you know, it has to be something that they, that they like beyond it just being a pretty good story because they get a lot of pretty good stories. Right. Um, And then I kind of realized, you know, yeah, winning your small town community college high school level creative writing contest is one thing 
when you're competing against maybe 30 to 40 other nerdy high school students. Right. But like competing with, you know, Cat Rambo to be published in fantasy and science fiction is a completely different thing. Um, and then I, I, I made a dedicated point of like working really hard to get good. Um, so I wouldn't embarrass myself by like sending out amateur stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, so I'm going, going from, you know, kids my age to like seasoned vets that yeah. have been doing this for years and <laughs> right and and also who are like very good right and and also are competing with each other so it's not mm. even like you're just competing with one or two really good people it's like everybody else who's doing this has been doing it way longer than you and is way better than you um and also just like knows how the system works better than you so they are yeah. they're they're just more experienced. And so you have to uh, make a point of figuring it out and learning how, like learning which magazines to send which kinds of stories to and what the different editors like and like the timing on, on when they're open for submissions and, and getting and tracking your submissions so you can do it efficiently and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it was, it's a whole thing. Um, mm. But I, I figured it out and I ended up selling a few stories to Benicia Skies and Orson Scott Cards Intergalactic Medicine Show and stuff like that, um, which was cool. And then I still like writing short fiction, but um, it was never my main thing. I was always more interested in writing novels, um, but it was a good way to kind of get some experience and, and you know work with editors and get a feel for like what it's like to actually be a working writer beyond just somebody who does it for fun. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, when I started, <laughs> when I got the revision letter for my book, it wasn't a shock. It was like, oh yeah, I've done this before. <laughs> it wasn't, this was perfect. It needed yeah. nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when you, when you, when you started doing it, you know, for fun, but also for more than 50 bucks, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, <laughs> you yeah. tried to go do a reading for the, for the local college. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you start doing these short stories uh, you know, when, when was it like, you know, when did the idea spark or what, what was the spark that goes, okay, now let's try a full length novel. Um, I've been writing novels since I was 16. I wrote my first novel when I was six, like it's junior and or no, yeah. Junior and senior year of high school. So when I was 16 and 17 and, um, it was good, you know, it was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> but that, that was what I wanted to do is I, uh, I actually had read when I was in middle school, Aragon by Christopher Paolini came out and I read that and somebody had told me like, oh, he was like 19 when this got published. And that kind of made me think, oh, I could try to do that um, when, after I had started winning the contest and stuff and started deci- decided to start trying to write as a job maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got I was pretty ambitious pretty early and I tried writing a book in high school and it was terrible. Um, and I'd written, you know, I, I kept doing that even while I was writing a lot of short stories, I always had a novel project I was working on. Um, and then I finally had one that I thought was pretty good in about 2015. It was like the fifth novel I had finished and the second or third one I'd gone back and like revised and rewritten. Um, and I queried with that one. So I like went through the whole process of find, figuring out which agents I might want to work with and writing a query letter and sending it to them. And of course, like nobody was interested. <laughs> uh, and so then I shelved that one, started working on this one. 
Um, and yeah, so it, it, the, the, the reason I, would, I did the short fiction thing was largely because I knew that I could um, learn faster by writing short fiction. Writing a novel takes a really long time and then revising a novel takes a really long time. And there were certain things I knew I needed to work on like character, characterization, uh, world building without info dumping um, and just like story arc kind of stuff. Like how do you construct a story that's compelling to people that I could practice in short fiction? It's obviously very different from writing a full length novel um, but you can kind of iterate more quickly by writing short stories and then revising them and submitting them and getting editorial feedback and then working on them with editors and stuff. Um, so for me, the end game was always, I wanted to write novels, but short fiction was a way to get a lot of practice in um, more efficiently than just writing a ton of novels and having to like put a lot of work into projects that were ultimately not going to end up going anywhere. I still did that, but um, I think it would have been a lot more of an endurance contest if I hadn't also been like selling some, some short stories along the way while I was tr still trying to get, you know, my novel game uh, where it needed to be. But. I gotcha. Um, so talk a little bit about your, uh, I guess your, your, your craft. So your, your writing process, you know, does mm -hmm. do you, do you outline, do you, you know, just fly by the seat of your pants? Do you do a little <laughs> bit of both? Uh, so, you know, I was, talking to Cam I was talking to Cameron Johnston and the, uh, I think the American term for it's drywalling. Mm. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's you, you got something, but like, it's yeah. not finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I usually start out with an idea that is sort of a thematic concept of like, here's what I think would be an interesting like idea for a story to explore and it's usually something that would be relevant to the character arc right mm -hmm. like um, for hand of the sun king it was uh what would or, or how is the specific circumstance of our birth largely what shapes our not only perception of the world but our moral attitudes and our sense of right and wrong and how can that be changed? So like, are you basically, are you, a, are you defined in those terms by where and when you're born and who kind of educates you when you're young or is it something where you can have some choice in like what your values are? Um, and it's not that I don't think there's a, I, I think that the answer is that you do have some choice but I wanted to kind of explore that. Um, and then I came up with, you know, a character that fit that. And, a, and then it's kind of just builds out from there. Um, but then when I come, when it comes down to actually writing the book, I tend to, what tends to work for me, and I've tried a bunch of different things to various levels of success, but what tends to work is writing a very kind of bare bones outline of like, here's the start of the story. Here's the ending of the story. And then here are a few key moments along the way that that connect the dots between the beginning and the ending and I think I largely think about it in terms of character so it's like what are wh where does the character start where do I want the character to end and then what are the moments along the way that will will impact them and make them change or give them difficult decisions to make that lead up to that ending mm -hmm. um, and then once I have that figured out it's I I discovery right or I guard in my way 
from the beginning to the first point and then from the first point to the second point. Um, I don't necessarily know how all those moments are connected when I'm coming up with them. I have to kind of find that out myself um, while I'm writing. And the way that I think of it really is it's like I build kind of a scaffolding and then I throw a bunch of clay at it in the form of discovery writing to find those connected, you know, what connects the dots. And then once I've done that, I go back and my first drafts are always like way bloated and like long and have a bunch of stuff in it that I don't need. And then I go in with, you know, the sculpting tools and I carve away all the unnecessary things until I have something that looks like a good book. And at that point I show it to, you know, my beta readers or my agent or whoever. And they tell me like, actually, this isn't very good yet. You need to like do all this stuff. And then I end up throwing some more mud at or clay at it and carving at it a little bit more. And eventually we get to a point where uh, it's a sculpture and it like is a sculpture that captures what I put in the scaffolding that I really wanted to, to like explore. Um, but it's not necessarily like I knew what the sculpture was going to look like when I started, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm kind of like halfway between the George R. R. Martin, you know, discovery writing as you go thing and the Brandon Sanderson, like, no, I have 15 books planned and like thoroughly outlined. Right. Uh, and I, I have outlines for the next 10 years kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, it kind of, it kind of, it's kind of a thing where, you you kind of want to know where you're going because you want to know there's an ending but yeah. like at the same time uh, like i was talking to matthew ward about this the other day he said i don't want to i don't want to know everything because then i'll be bored writing it because yes, nothing absolutely. will surprise me yeah it's, and it also like i've had the experience where i have a really rigid outline and i start writing and like the story wants to go somewhere else or the store or the characters want to do something and like i'd say that that's not really what it, that's a very mystical way of talking about it what I mean is like I'm writing and I think of something that would be really cool like what if this happened next or like what if the characters made this decision and it but it doesn't fit with the really rigid outline I've written mm -hmm. and so then I end up in this just miserable right because I'm trying to write this book that I don't really want to write anymore and I have a cooler idea so allowing myself some some ability to kind of deviate from from a planned course make, keeps it interesting mm -hmm. so that totally makes sense to me yeah i got you so um i want to talk about the hand of the sun king so everybody right. can see the lovely cover behind you um yes. it's a gorgeous cover by the way and it's, yeah. it's one of those that like once you finish the story and go back and look at it or even while you're still reading it you're like oh yeah and you just kind of pick up the little <laughs> details <laughs> yeah patrick knowles did it for galance and it, he did a great job and i actually don't i want i i it, like he has to have actually read the book to have done that but I don't know if he has or if he's just some kind of psychic genius but yeah because I didn't it, suggest that <laughs> yeah yeah I don't you know I don't know if everybody you know does it like what Tommy Arnold does because he reads the entire book and then kind yeah of like you know draws and paints once he's done so yeah I'm, I'm always curious to, to find out like how artists do it so just like yeah do you just read the synopsis and just go off of that because you know if he did Bravo. <laughs> and I actually, uh, you know, I saw, is it Goldsboro that did the, uh, the stencil, stencil mm -hmm. edges? Like I saw a picture that they posted the other day. And, oh my gosh. Yeah, like, those are so I want one so bad. Like they're so pretty. Um, yeah, it's too bad that those are just for the book club uh, uh, that they have. Because I, th yeah, those are so cool. I wish everybody could have one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
tell me, you know, t- tell the audience, you know, I- I've already read it, but tell the audience, you know, what is the story about uh, and what were your inspirations behind the story? Sure. So the Hand of the Sun King follows uh, Wen Alder, who is a young man. Uh, we meet him when he's eight years old uh, and uh, he is being led out into the forest by his grandmother for reasons that are not immediately clear to him. Um, and he comes from a family where his father is a merchant for the Sienese Empire, which has recently is exp- an expanding empire that's gradually taking over this part of the world. And they've recently conquered the island of Nyen, where Alder lives. Um, and so his father is a merchant who is from this old family in Sien that is. Uh, fallen on hard times, more or less. They used to be very high up in the empire. He has an ancestor who was a sorcerer who was very famous, um, but now they're kind of fallen from grace. And so his father's really desperate to kind of rebuild the family. But his mother is uh, a Nyeni woman who uh, is related to the notorious rebel Harrow Fox, who is her brother, who is leading a rebellion against the empire. Um, And so Alder's grandmother on his mother's side lives with them, and she really wants Alder to learn his Nyeni heritage. And so she takes him out into the forest, she gives him a Nyeni name, which is Foolish Kerr in a sort of magical ceremony. And then in the process, she uses a little bit of magic. And when this happens, he can feel sort of the power of the magic that she's using as it ripples through the world and kind of affects his senses and, and the world around him. And he's just blown away by it and, it, and is, becomes obsessed with it. Um, and, it's, and part of that obsession is because he's kind of got this very strict life as a, as a kid because his father has hired a tutor to teach him um, all about Sienese culture and philosophy so that he can pass these imperial examinations and become an imperial official and kind of restore their family's status a little bit. And so his life is very rigid where he spends all day with his tutor learning stuff. And this magic that his grandmother wields kind of gives him a glimpse of like the power to shape his own destiny, right? Uh, And so from there, we kind of follow him. Um, It's the books in four parts and each part is sort of a different period of his life. So the first one is when he's a kid and being educated uh, and making a few childish mistakes and learning from them, maybe hopefully. Uh, (laughs) And then it it ends with him taking the imperial examinations. And then the subsequent parts kind of follow what happens next after he takes the examinations. Um, But all the way through, he's kind of got this this tension where uh, he has some education in magic from his grandmother which is Nyeni magic, which is forbidden by the empire. But he also wants to learn the imperial magic because he thinks that that might be a way to kind of understand magic better and and master it. Um, But then he also doesn't really want to work for the Nyeni rebellion or the empire. He would he doesn't care that much about the political situation in the world or about restoring his family status. That's just sort of something his dad has put on him. Mm-hmm. So he kind of has to figure out what, what he values most and which of those three paths he's going to take at each point in the story. 
Um, and as I said, it's kind of the theme in my mind of the book is like, how do you decide what you value when you live in a world that tries to put a lot of values on you? And how do you come up with your own moral and philosophical attitudes when you're born into a situation that where there's a lot of pressure to conform to a certain way of thinking? Um, and it also deals with themes of colonialism and things like that. It's it's got some cool battle scenes in it and stuff, but it's not primarily like an action oriented book. It's more of a like I would compare it again to like a Wizard of Earthsea is my big source of artistic inspiration for it. Right. It's a book about somebody who's a, who wants to learn magic and there are moral and ethical consequences to the, the, the things he does in pursuit of that. And then he has to deal with the fallout. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's it. I mean, there, as far as my other inspirations, Le Guin's a big one, Guy Gavriel K, his prose style is what I really want to try to emulate kind of like very, uh, very rich, but also to the point, right? Like I, 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 I like, books that have like again I really love the Malazan book of the Fallen which has I think really sophisticated prose where there's a lot going on that you can dig into but it's also I think a bit of a brick wall for some people where they start reading it and like I can't follow this this is just too dense yeah um but I so I, I try to strike a balance between that and the you know straightforward kind of like this is the story that's happening kind of writing which I think there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, there's like something missing when I'm reading a book like that. It's not quite as in engaging for me. Yeah. And I think, I think Guy K does a great job of like hitting that middle line where it's like really obviously well-crafted, but it never gets in the way. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of, I take a lot of inspiration from the way that he writes. Um, and then as far as the real world inspirations and stuff, um, I spent a lot of time uh, in college study. I, I did history and philosophy with a minor in Asian studies, took a lot of classes in Chinese language and culture and literature, um, lived for a while in Beijing and Taiwan. And so I took a lot of inspiration from that in terms of the aesthetics of the book, like the visual culture, um, some of the philosophical culture um, of, of the Sienese empire and Nayan and stuff like that. Um, because I don't think it's really like I admire people who try to fabricate fantasy cultures from whole cloth, but I've never done it really in a way that satisfied me. And I've never actually read anything where it felt really authentic. The stuff that feels authentic to me is like, you know, pointing to something in reality. And then again, as Guy Gavriel K talks about it, taking that quarter turn away and saying like, this is a real idea that's in the world somewhere, but I'm going to kind of turn it a little bit so that it's not exactly the same. And I'm not making any claims about a real world philosophy or a real world culture. I'm just very like, I'm, I'm telegraphing the inspiration for you though. So if you're curious about that, you can go read this or you can go research this history or whatever. So, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you did a you know a great job kind of meshing that whole idea of of finding your own not necessarily just path, but you know like forging forward and, and finding if you know am I going to follow my father's footsteps? Am I going to follow my grandmother's footsteps? Am I going to mm. stray a path this way and go that way? You know? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you just you really never know where when's going to end up. Like he, he yeah. just 
he's kind of like along for a ride and then 180. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's an interesting take. And I think that's why I was so enamored with this character. You know, that there's, there's so many stories out there with dynamic characters and, you know, they're great, but they don't stay with you. Uh, and when, when was one that stayed with me this year? And, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, you saw in my review, of, I named a few other characters that I've read in books this year, but, you know, no matter how, descriptive you know you get that you know if i'm kind of hooked and into the story then i'm gonna follow it no matter you know where it goes um where was you know what what inspired you to, to write Wynn's character specifically um i so part of it comes from my own background um i grew up in in a pretty uh traditional and conservative community not necessarily my own family but just the a lot of the people I was interacting with a lot went to school with things like that um I had a pretty rigid kind of mindset about the world and I always felt I always kind of chafed against that where it was like okay I see where you're coming from but also there's like people who think differently right like there's 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 a lot of possibility out there that you're kind of shutting yourself off from Mm -hmm. um and so when I was in high school I was kind of an edgy kid just because I was like rebelling against that a little bit and I was very I was a super curious person um I, I read a lot you know fiction and nonfiction too and I ended up majoring in philosophy because I just really wanted to like figure out what I thought about the world mm-hmm. you know um I didn't want to I didn't want to have my parents thoughts about the world I didn't want to have my community's thoughts about the world I didn't want anybody to tell me what to think yeah. Um, and so I spent, you know, my, basically I spent college uh, exploring a lot of different paths, a lot of different possible attitudes you could have and, and philo- sort of philosophical ideas and um, eventually settled on, you know, what I think at least makes me most functional and happy. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, any given set of philosophies is for everybody, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think that that's an element of coming of age that that is in a lot of coming of age narratives but I never feel like it's dug into as deeply as I want it to be Mm. where like like for example in a wizard of earthsea um which I love right but Ged doesn't really have to grapple with figuring out his own ideas it's more like he he's an arrogant kid he makes a mistake the community that he's in kind of tells him like what they think he should do about that mistake he does it for a while it doesn't really work out and then he kind of has a a really sudden moment of realization where he's like oh I actually understand how to solve this problem now and then he solves it um and that's it's there's nothing wrong with that but I I wanted to write a story that reflected my own kind of intellectual experience a little bit more where it was a character who wasn't satisfied with what anybody was telling him Mm-hmm. um and wasn't gonna accept like in this in the book you know the magic systems are kind of metaphors for uh different philosophies or different like different ways of living in the world or different different cultural attitudes and he's not satisfied to find one and stick with it right, right. he wants to learn all of them he wants yeah. to master everything um so that he can kind of make an informed choice about like what he's going to do with his life uh and that that is my own experience of, of growing up and becoming an adult and figuring out what that meant to me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so it is very much, I, I joke with my wife that Alder is like the worst possible version of me at 16 for like the first and second chunks of the book where he's just kind of very arrogant, very uh, full of himself and smart and like, but also kind of an idiot, right? Where he like, he's very book smart, but then he makes some decisions where you're like, why are you doing that? Like, that's so dumb. But the thing is, I can totally remember being that age and it was like a hair's breadth away from me making very similar, very stupid choices, right? Right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I know exactly what you mean about coming of age stories because a lot of them, their path is already kind of forged for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they may stray a little bit, but generally they kind of stay in that same path. And if they don't, it's just a why. There's, there's no just a thousand branches they could go through, you know. It, and, yeah. and the way you know, wins is, is again, you think he's going one way and he strays a little bit and he strays a little more and then it kind of comes back, but then he goes back, you know, and yeah. so you just never quite know where he's going to end up. And I don't know if you <laughs> could hear that, like it's getting like louder. Yeah. As, I heard as that. That, as was, the video that, was, going. that was impressive. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, am I going to lose my roof? Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, and this isn't really a spoiler, but you know, he, he hits, he hits certain boundaries and mm-hmm. like, he's kind of forced in a different direction in certain aspects. Um, yeah. and, and I thought that was a really interesting take because you don't normally see that or at least in, in my, in my six years of reading fantasy, you know, religiously, um, yeah. I, I haven't really seen it. So, um, I really enjoyed just kind of finding out where he was going to go. And I think that's why I enjoyed his story so much. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a an interesting question i don't i don't ask a whole lot of authors uh, especially just because i feel like it was covered a lot last year but now with this continuing you know what what was it like kind of i guess maybe finishing up your editing and getting mm-hmm. everything proofed and, and ready to go up for arcs and then now with your publication you know what's it been like through the pandemic and now the ongoing pandemic that yeah. never seems that it's gonna cease <laughs> it kind of ends and then starts up again and right yeah. It was interesting. Um, so we went, my agent took the book out on like on submission to publishers in January. So right when things were really bad. Um, and there were not a lot of like, it, it, was, it was interesting. There were a lot of people who were really like busy because they were trying to catch up on a backlog that has sort of been created by all the disruptions in the previous couple of years. So we didn't hear back from people for a really long time. Um, And by January, I mean, January of 2020. Uh, (laughs) So last January. Right. And um, it was a, it was stressful. It was like, I don't know if anybody's going to ever read this or like if it'll just fall through the cracks of like all the other stuff that's happening. And there were, there were books getting pushed back to be published in 2021. So it was like clogging up and crowding out the uh, release schedule in 2021, which for people who, who don't know, publishers have a pretty like rigid release schedule of like how many books they put out a year and how many books they put out a month because they don't want their own books stepping on each other's toes and stuff right. like that. Right. And so... I just was getting really worried about it. And then um, we finally, you know, got the offer from Delance and that was super exciting. And then I was in the middle of teaching. Uh, I teach high school English in addition to writing. And I 
uh, was teaching for, like hybrid classes where half my students were at home like on zoom with me and half of them were in the room and it was just super exhausting and so I was trying to work on edits during that and I didn't know if I was going to be able to finish stuff in time and it was and like I actually have uh I'm probably going to have to push my my deadline for my second book back because of the same thing where just you know this past couple years have been so exhausting yeah um and it's it's been interesting. And then I also have been following, I don't know if you've been paying attention to like the paper shortage and stuff, but there's been a global paper shortage because a lot of paper manufacturing was disrupted by the pandemic and that's affecting, you know, print runs and it's affecting the, like, I was really lucky and got a physical arc of my book, but a lot of right. people aren't right now. Right. Um, because like publishers are getting a little bit uh, nervous about, spending the money to do that for everything because they're not sure what's gonna you know what's it's always it's always you know a numbers game and a risk game in publishing and they're just I think hedging their bets a little bit more um because there was uh the paper shortage and also another phenomenon so I, I have pretty close ties to a bookstore in Spokane called Auntie's where I worked for a really long time and one of the things that ha that they were telling me that happened over the pandemic was uh, book sales were super high, like tons of people were buying books because they wanted stuff to do while they were stuck at home. But the stuff that was selling was all either books that were like nonfiction by people who were already famous or, so, or established authors. So like lots of Stephen King selling, not a lot of like debut novels. Um, and so I think that that was because people were, you know, looking for something comforting or comfortable that they knew what they were getting. Um, and I think it's been a rough year for debuts. And so I have some nervousness about that. Like, is that trend going to continue um, going forward as we lock down again, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> we're going to... I hate gonna, that word. <laughs> I know, but I, I, I think... I don't know if it's going to be quite as severe as it was, but I think, you know, new books rely on foot traffic to sell. Yeah. And to what extent is that going to be disrupted by the pandemic kicking in again? Um, so it's a, it's a tough time to be a, a debut novelist. I'm fortunate that I, you know, got arcs of my book. It's, uh, I, my agent, my UK agent sent me pictures of it face out in Waterstones and stuff. So it's out there. People can find it. Now it's just a question of, are they going to be able to? Right. Uh, considering all the other stuff that's going on. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine just like the the anxiety, I guess that that authors have. I mean, you know, I I try on on, on my blog to to read. I, I say a lot of debuts, but I can only read so many. Um, yeah. But you know that that's kind of like my my niche, I guess, uh, is that I try to try to get debuts out there that people can kind of latch on and go. And so I don't, I don't always read sequels you know really quickly like generally once the series is done i'll go back and, and do a read through but yeah. um but yeah but i just i don't see a ton of people do that i see a lot of people still kind of reading stuff that's been out for a while and so forth and i'm like gosh can i we need to start trending more in my direction we need, <laughs> we need to get these debut authors some stuff but at the same time yeah. you know publishers really rely on those those seasoned vets, those workhorses that have been around like your Kings and so forth to, yeah. to get the money to be able to do the arcs and so forth for, for debuts right. and for second or third books from, from authors. So it's a really yeah. interesting dynamic. It is. And like another thing that's worth considering is, is I occasionally see people kind of complaining about like uh, 
the bookshelves are overflowing with like Robert Jordan and, and stuff and, and books that or and Tolkien, which is val absolutely a valid take. Like I, I, I'm also frustrated by the fact that it's hard to find new stuff because it feels like a lot of bookstores, especially like Barnes and Noble uh, here, just stocks the same stuff that's been selling for decades. But right. the reason they do that is because they don't want to take a risk on stuff that's not going to sell. And a lot of people don't buy debut novels. A lot of people buy uh, stuff that they know is going to be something they like, which is fair. It's not, nothing, nobody's doing anything wrong. It's just the mm -hmm. dynamic yeah. is such that having your first book come out is, is a, it's a gamble for you as the author. It's a gamble for the publisher. It's a gamble for any bookstores that decide to stock it. Um, but I do really appreciate like you and um, Patrick Leo and like uh, Nil Shukla from Fanfy Addicts, uh, or no, that's you, you're Fanfy Addicts. <laughs> Fantasy, uh, Fantasy Hive, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, but the people who like have taken a shot on my book uh, as a totally unknown quantity and then really liked it and talked about it and given me a platform to, you know, hopefully convince other people to try it out. Yeah, um, you're the real heroes. <laughs> <laughs> if that may be the only first and only time I ever be in, in called a hero, so <laughs> I'll take it. I'll wear that badge. Um, so, uh, so I have to know. You know, have, have you have you been doing a lot a lot of reading this year? Uh, is there anything that you've read that you'd really recommend? Yeah, I, I have been. Um, not as much as I wish I had, just because something was going on with my brain uh, because of the pandemic where I had a hard time focusing on a lot of stuff. And I played a lot more video games than I normally do and read a lot fewer books, but I did read some really good stuff. Um, we were chatting about Nick earlier, Nick Martell and his vanished or um, um, the, uh, the two-faced queen mm -hmm. uh, was really good. Um, the first one, Kingdom of Liars was good, but I think Vanished Queen is, is I'm sorry, there's, that's another book I'm about to recommend in a second. <laughs> Two-Faced Two Queen, queen uh, does something really interesting where it's like a fan, it's an epic fantasy novel, but the plot is not a normal epic fantasy plot, um, which I think is cool and has a sort of, uh, it, it adds sort of a unique flavor to it. Um, but I think people should check those out for sure. Another one is Elizabeth Campbell's The Vanished Queen, another book, which is The Something Queen. Um, but that one is is a, a really interesting one. It's got a lot of like resonance with the current political, or I guess actually the political situation in the United States like two years ago, um, where there's a lot, there's a, a ruler that a lot of people really don't like, and there's uh, some fomenting rebellion, but there are some like the, the, my favorite character in the book is one of the king's sons who has a, a very conflicted attitude about his position in the world where he's like, you know, I'm part of this sort of establishment, um, but my dad's terrible. My mom is missing, but she, she and my dad didn't get along. And like, she had different political ideas than him. And there's this rebellion that's going on. And who do I want to like side with? Um, it's a very good book. I think it kind of flew under the radar because again, it was like a, a, a book from a new author that came out in the middle of the pandemic and I got an advanced copy of it and really enjoyed it, but I didn't really ever see anybody talking about it. Mm. Um, another one that has the same, to continue the trend of using titles with the same word as the previous one, The Vanished Birds uh, by Simon Jimenez, which is a science fiction novel, uh, also came out last year to significantly less fanfare than I think it deserved might be the best debut space opera book I've ever read. 
Um, it's it's not like a, a, a big action story. Um, it's a very kind of uh, close perspective on this one crew of this one ship, but it occasionally like gives you perspectives from other characters. Uh, and it's a story about the cost of technological advancement and how uh, a new technology can change the world for the better, but sometimes it, it, that can only be achieved by causing like immeasurable harm to a few people. Mm. Um, and so I think it's a really, it's just also beautifully written. Like the prose in it is gorgeous, not again, not like a brick wall, like it invites you in, but is there are sentences in that book that are like the most brilliantly crafted sentences I've ever read. Um, so those three are all really good books that I think people should check out that I read in the last year. They're all from relatively new authors. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, JT, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting. Uh, sure. Hand of the Sun King, Pact and Pattern number one. It's a phenomenal novel. Uh, just came out. So definitely go uh, grab a copy. You can actually get signed book plate copies from The Broken Binding. Uh, make yep. sure you use promo code FANFI. That's F-A-N-F-I. Get a little bit of a discount uh, at your checkout. But everybody, uh, definitely check it out. It's, it's one of my highest rated novels this year. Uh, it'll be on my top 25 list at the end of the year. So definitely check it out and look forward to book two and uh, best <laughs> of luck with edits. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's been great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We'll do this again sometime, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. All Thanks, right. Man.